Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Jesus said, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And thus we find the opening words of the vineyard analogy in John chapter 15, part of the upper room discourse where Christ is preparing his disciples for his departure. And this is a rich, rich section, and we are spending time in this section because there's a great deal here for us to learn and to meditate upon and to use to examine our own hearts and lives. So we are focusing right now upon what spiritual prunings may be. What is it that the Heavenly Father, the vine dresser, is removing from the lives of God's true children. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If there is no fruit, there is no spiritual life. If there is no fruit, there is no true salvation. But for those who are saved, there still is a pruning process, not a removal process. He takes away the dead branches, but the living branches he prunes. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so I'm directing these thoughts to those who are truly saved. I understand the warning for those who may profess to be saved and are not truly. But for those who are truly saved, we need to understand this pruning process is going on in our lives. It must go on. It will go on. And the purpose is to remove from us those things that keep us from bearing a good crop of fruit, that hinder us from bearing more fruit and much fruit. That's what's going on in our lives. And so I pause and welcome you to this Sunday, January 15 edition of the Beacon Broadcast. I'm so grateful for the opportunity of teaching God's Word on this station and thankful for those whose financial gifts make that possible. The Father is pruning. Pruning hurts. <laughs> it is another way of saying he chastens us. He disciplines us. He corrects us. He prunes us. He removes things from our lives that are 
remnants of the old nature. And that is going on in the lives of all God's children. And so, what is this pruning process? What is God the Father removing from the lives of his children? We saw in the broadcast last week that he is removing the remnants of the old nature, our Adamic sinfulness. And I suggested several things that have to do with inward heart attitudes, such as pride and envy and lying and lusts. Lying, of course, is an outward activity, but it begins by the deceitfulness of the heart. And so when those things are present, even to a lesser degree than they were before we were saved, surely they are there to a lesser degree. If they're not there to a lesser degree, then we go back to the branches that he removes and casts into the fire. Because if there is no fruit, there is no life. But even for those who are bearing fruit, who are seeing development in their lives of greater Christ-likeness and less Adamicness, but we're not in heaven yet, and we're not where we ought to be, and so we still have to deal with pride. It, it rises up so easily. We have to deal with envy as we look at others with a wrong attitude, the opposite of love, the opposite of Christ-likeness. As we continue lying and deceiving in little ways, not big ones like the unconverted, not big ones like we used to, but little ways, those things also need to be pruned out of our lives that we might bear more fruit. And the lusts of our wrong desires, those too need to be removed. So the remnants of the old nature, but what else? Well, the Heavenly Father is working to remove from us what some have called the idols of the heart. I think it was Calvin that said that the human heart is, a, is an idle factory. I think it was Calvin. An idle factory. We are making idols more quickly than we can get rid of them. We don't think so because we're not bowing down, I trust, to gods of wood and stone and the kind of idolatry that, that Israel was involved in in the Old Testament and the kind of idolatry that... Many people in false religions are involved in all over the world. But, you see, we don't have so much idols of the shelf and idols of the temple, but we have idols of the heart. And what are those? Well, an idol, of course, is a false god. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, an idol is something that we place above our allegiance to Christ, something that we love and value and esteem more than we love our relationship with God. Now, those things cannot remain. They cannot remain in the life of a true child of God. Those idols of the heart need to go. But what are they? Well, they may be friends and family. Sometimes Christians elevate a child that they love and are grateful for and proud of, but they elevate that child to a position where that child to them is more esteemed, more valuable, more loved than Jesus Christ himself. Uh-oh, that's got to go. That's got to go. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Surely you can understand 
that loving a, a spouse or loving a parent or loving a child or loving a grandchild more than you love Christ is a problem. It is the very essence of idolatry. And if that's true in our lives, then he's going to prune it. If we don't deal with it, if we don't put it out of our lives, then the Heavenly Father will. Wouldn't you rather do it yourself than to have him do it? I can't say what God is doing when, for example, a child is removed from our lives by death. I can't say, ah, ha, 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 that was an idol in your heart. But it could be. It may have been. And it may have been because you would not deal with it. Then God removed it. He pruned it out of your life that you might bear more fruit. Or any kind of a relationship. For those who are in a dating relationship, it's very tempting for a child of God to put their boyfriend or girlfriend in a position of greater affection, greater esteem, to love them more than they love God Almighty himself, and that's an idol that needs to be removed. Do you want to have a continued relationship with that person, assuming that they are a Christian and that it is a legitimate God-honoring relationship? But do you want to be able to continue having that relationship? Then you better not put that person above Jesus Christ or God in love and for your good may remove that idol out of your life so that you cannot esteem that one higher than Jesus Christ. You think about that for a while. And on it goes. I'm going to to mention something that, that troubles me as a pastor. I've noticed that for some people, some married couples, when either one of them has something that keeps them out of church, then in their minds, that means automatically neither of them can attend church. Have you noticed that? Now, I'm, su- I'm sure that in some situations that's perfectly legitimate, and only God knows the situation perfectly. It may be that your spouse is sick and truly needs careful, attentive care, and you've got to stay there and take care of them in order to be a good husband or wife to them. I understand that. But in many cases, they don't require that kind of care. They're not in need of constant care 24-7. There, there are periods of time when they can get along fine as long as someone comes back to check on them and to, to uh, continue to, to monitor them. There can be a few hours, two or three hours at least. How do you get your grocery shopping done? How do you take care of other errands that have to be done? If you can never leave that spouse at all, but for some people it's a signal that if he can't attend church, then I can't attend church either. If she can't attend church, then I can't attend church either. Now, again, only God knows the situation and only God knows the heart. But if that's going on, you have to at least consider the possibility. You have to ask the question, am I making that spouse an idol of the heart? Am I valuing them, loving them, esteeming them, more than I esteem the Lord Jesus Christ and my worship and uh, of him and my duty to, to serve him and to 
not forsake the assembling of myself with other believers? Think about that, because the Heavenly Father knows how to prune those idols of the heart and take them away. It may be material possessions. God, in his kindness, often gives us possessions that are not necessary. All that we need is nourishment and shelter. Having food and raiment, we will thereby be content, is what the Bible teaches us. And the person who has the most is not the most happy. The person who is satisfied with the least is the most happy. You understand that, don't you? We, we do understand that theoretically, but do we understand that in practice? But God also bestows many things on, on the lives of his children. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that he gives us everything richly to enjoy speaking particularly to the wealthy, but anytime there's a surplus, God has given that, and God has given that so that we might enjoy it. It's not that he gives it to us, but say, says, don't use it, don't touch it. <laughs> you, I've given that to you, but you can't have it. That's not what it is at all. If God gives it, we can have it if we will utilize it in a God-honoring way and not allow it to take preeminence in our lives, but oh, how often material possessions, a vacation home, a investment account becomes more important to us than Christ. And if that's the case, and we are a true child of God, we shouldn't be surprised if the Heavenly Father is coming around with a pruning shears, snip, snip, Snip. He may take away that vacation home. He may cause that investment portfolio to collapse. And we act as if that's the end of, of life. Oh, oh, oh. How, why did you let that happen? Because it was a hindrance to fruit bearing. Because you were esteeming that more highly than you esteem Christ. Because you were serving things rather than serving Christ. Snip, 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 and on and on and on it goes. People can make all kinds of things the idols of their heart. Achieving a certain social position, achieving a certain honor, gaining a certain reputation in the community can become more important than loving and serving Jesus Christ. And if it does, don't be surprised if the Lord prunes that out of your life. Snip, 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 every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And it may be nothing more than the excesses of earthly existence. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verse 1? He said, and I'm looking, <laughs> finding it now to read it exactly, but here it is, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the analogy of a foot race, which is often used in the New Testament as a portrayal of the Christian life, 
We are running a race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We are running steadily, 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 steadily over a long distance until finally we reach the finish line, which is when we cross over into the presence of the Lord. And for a runner, certainly sins can be a great hindrance, but there are other weights that would probably not appropriately be classified as sins. I've often illustrated it this way. Suppose that someone were getting ready to start a race, and he's holding in one hand a bottle of Coca-Cola, and he's holding the other hand a large bottle of alcohol. And the coach comes up and says, what are you doing? You can't carry those. You've got to lay those aside. And he looks at the bottle of alcohol and says, you know, you're right about that. I, I, I'm convicted about that. I realize that this is probably in the category of a sin, and so I'll lay it aside. But nobody can tell me that Coca-Cola is a sin. I'm going to carry that. You can't take that from me. Well, no, I don't know that I would categorize Coca-Cola as a sin. I would honestly even characterize alcohol in the strictest control and moderation as permissible by a proper understanding of the Bible, even though I have as much right to choose not to partake as to partake, and I've chosen not to partake, and that's what I advise, because even though there may be permission to partake as long as you do it moderately and don't become inebriated and so forth, a proper understanding of the Bible, uh, nevertheless, there is a danger. There's a, this is one of those things that has a hook in it, and you may get hooked. A lot of people have. No, no one ever became an alcoholic who didn't drink and so forth, so you know you know what I'm talking about. And so I have chosen not to exercise a Christian liberty in that area just because I see too many dangers and I realize that it very, very often becomes a weight, maybe not a sin, but a weight that does so easily beset us. And I want to run my best. I want to finish the course. I want to gain the prize. And so I want to remove from my life not only those things that are clearly sins, may God help me to do so, but I want to remove from my life those things that are weights and hindrances that will keep me from running a good race. And of course, if anything in our life, even a legitimate thing, becomes a weight, then it's subject to the Father's pruning. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's what the pruning process is all about. And when we are pruned, we feel it. It hurts, sometimes severely, sometimes not quite so severely, but it hurts. We can lessen the pain of it if we'll deal with these things ourselves. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 in that passage on the proper observance of the Lord's table? 
Let me read that to you. Therefore, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we, and here's what I was getting to, here's the, here's the crux of the matter. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Well, there it is. That's the same thing in different phraseology that Jesus is teaching in John chapter 15. So let me go back through it again, because not everybody understands this passage. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, that certainly sounds serious, and we need to understand that there is a a serious infraction that we are in danger of committing if we don't understand this passage and obey it. Now, some have totally missed what this is saying. I have had Christians say to me, well, I just don't come to the Lord's table. I don't partake of the Lord's table. I I don't feel worthy. I, I'm afraid that I might partake in an unworthy manner, so I just play it safe and I don't partake at all. Well, that's disobedience. You are refusing to partake of something that Christ commanded you to do. This do in remembrance of me. Not this stay away from, if you think it might bring any danger to you. This do. But, obviously, you need to do it in the right way. So, don't use the possibility of doing it in the wrong way. Excuse your disobedience. That's sin. Well, then, how are we to partake? Well, keep going in the text, and it'll tell us. Verse 28, But let a man, obviously a man or a woman, a Christian, examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's why we have self-examination when we observe the Lord's table. A time to acknowledge the sins that God brings to mind, and confess them, and claim the forgiveness which he has promised. Let a man examine himself and refrain from the Lord's table for a few months until he's sure that he's, that he's uh, qualified to partake. No, you qualify yourself immediately by confessing your sins. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup." It's something that you can and should take care of right there on the spot. It doesn't require weeks and months and years of examination and preparation and confession. And here we go again, cycling through, cycling through, cycling through. You can take care of it in about one or two or three minutes, if you will understand this passage and obey it. Don't partake in an unworthy manner by ignoring your sins by failing to deal with them, 
but deal with them. Acknowledge them, confess them, claim the forgiveness that Christ has promised. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, wouldn't that qualify anybody who's a Christian to partake of the Lord's table if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That certainly will qualify you. You can't do any better than that. But it goes on in verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, back to those who presumptuously partake without any self-examination without acknowledging their sins, without confessing them, without any desire to, to forsake them. That's the, that's the key. Do you desire to be cleansed? Do you desire to be forgiven? Do you desire to be qualified to partake? Then do what the passage says. Examine yourself, confess your sins, and so partake. But don't rush in presumptuously by not doing that. Because verse 30 goes on to say, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For this careless attitude of partaking without examination, without confession, without acknowledging your sin, that has caused some to be chastened of the Lord with illness and weakness, weak and sick among you, and even in more extreme cases, physical death, some sleep. But then this, in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, that is, by the Lord. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So, here we have these two relationships again. The dead branches, professing Christians who are not truly converted, back to John chapter 15, they don't have the life of Christ flowing into them. They're dead branches. Those he takes away and throws into the fire. They are condemned with the world. But those who bear fruit because they have true life, he prunes. He chastens. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Well, what can we do to soften the pain of the Lord's judgment, the Lord's chastening? He tells us what to do. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we'll take care of this first, then the Lord won't have to. If we'll prune ourselves, then he won't have to prune us. If we'll examine our hearts to see if we have remnants of the old nature that need to be dealt with, if we have idols of the heart that need to be dealt with, if we have relationships that we value more than we value our relationship with Christ, if we have possessions that we love and serve more than we serve Christ, if, if we'll recognize these things and deal with them ourselves, then the Lord won't have to. If we will judge ourselves and put these things away, if we will prune ourselves, then we won't have to be pruned. But if we don't, then we will be chastened by the Lord so that we will not be 
condemned with the world. It's still better to be chastened by the Lord than to be condemned with the world. It's better to be pruned by the vine dresser than to be a branch that is cut off and cast into the fire. But there's one thing that's even better than either of those choices, and that is self-pruning, self-examination, self-removal of those things, carefully examining ourselves on a regular basis and taking preemptive action to keep our lives wholesome and Christ-honoring in every area. That's what we need to do, and that will enable us to be fruitful Christians. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.